If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, we're going to be based there this morning. Um, We are picking up in our series on DNA, um, looking at who God has... In fact, this is the last one of our series in the DNA. Um, So we're finishing off our series on DNA. And so just over this series, we've been looking at the kind of church God has called us to be. Um, This week, we were meant to be preaching on a diverse people, um, but because of last week, we, we aren't. So I'm preaching last week's message this week, and... This week's message, what I would have been preaching, actually comes out in our next series we're about to go into um, anyway. And I was going to use it as a launch pad into our next series. Um, So next week, we're going to be starting a a series leading up to the summer, looking or calling it Let the Nations Be Glad. And we're going to be looking at the storyline of God's plan and purpose for humanity. That God's desire has always been to gather a people from every tribe, tongue, ethnicity, from across the face of the earth throughout history for himself. Um, And so we're going to look at the thread, that theme that runs through the Bible leading up to the summer. And we're going to end at the, just at the last Sunday in in January, in July, by having a a celebration Sunday. We're going to eat together. um, That's the plan. And just really celebrate the diversity among us. We're going to talk more about that in the days to come. But we want that to be a celebration as we celebrate, hey, we get to get a foretaste of heaven here on earth in the local church. And so we want to celebrate that. Right, this morning, you'll be very glad that you've turned up because I am going to be preaching on generosity, that God has called us to be a generous people. Now, there are some things you preach on where immediately people go, oh, great, yes, fantastic. And there are other things where you can just feel in the room uh, uh, intake of air. Oh, ouch. Right. Maybe this is one of those. Maybe it isn't. But I think that as a church, I think we are a generous people. I think God has made us generous. I think we've, we've seen that over and over again in the way that we've um, given, in different opportunities, different settings, just even regular giving. As I said last week, um, our giving over the last financial year from April 2017 through to April 2018 increased by 13.5%, which is just fantastic. And I want to say again, thank you so much. We so appreciate that. And it really does enable us to um, grow and plan and move on effectively as a local church community. In fact, it, it helps us to um, be effective in what God has called us to. And I know many, I mean, I know numbers of church leaders where finance is a huge struggle. And it actually, it hinders the gospel. It really does. So we really appreciate that. But I want us to be a people who are outstanding in generosity. I want us to be a people who celebrate generosity, who, who love in our, right in our DNA to be, to be givers of our time, finances, skills, love, homes, lives to one another and to the community around us, the wider community. The reason I want us to do that is because I think that's what the Bible expects of God's people. I think the Bible expects us to be a people who, who celebrate that we get to be generous, who pursue generosity who it's an instinct for, not a, a hard work decision to do something. And so we're going to look at the Bible and allow the Bible to motivate us to be givers of ourselves, givers of our finances, our lives to one another to glorify God. We, um, 
as a team, we've been recently looking at our vision statement as a church. How do we want to, for this next season of Gateway, for the next um, part of our story, how do we want to express who God's called us to be? And we've, we've come up with this um, simple vision statement, which says that we exist to give ourselves away. Who's Gateway? Well, we're a people who exist to give ourselves away. And I want that to be in every area of life, that we think we're here for the good of others. We're here to glorify God. We're here not for our own selves, but to go make disciples, to, to, to worship Jesus, to lift Jesus' name up in the community, in this nation, and into the nations of the world. And really, that's the heart of, of what generosity is. We're giving ourselves away. We're giving of ourselves. We're giving of our finance and time to bless others. That's why we're here, by the way. It's the sole reason that you and I are not with Jesus right now in eternity, which the Apostle Paul, said, the Apostle Paul when he's wrestling over this, he said, it would be way better for me to be with Jesus. It would be so much better for me personally if I was with Jesus, but for you, the church, he says, and actually for the mission of God to see people saved and encounter this goodness of God, he says, it's better by far that I stay in that sense because it blesses others. But the reason that you and I are here on the face of the earth right now and not in the presence of Jesus is because we are on a mission to give ourselves to a dying and hurting world. To give ourselves to one another, to comfort each other out of the comfort that God has shown us in life. Salvation, having sin forgiven, reconciliation with God, adoption into God's family, that's a free gift of God. You cannot earn that no matter what you do, how hard you try, you cannot earn it. Being a follower of Jesus costs everything. So we exist to give ourselves away. We exist to give ourselves away. And I want us to see just right from the off that this is so countercultural. This is so countercultural. The, the expectation of the Bible isn't pay your dues to be part of the club. It's see everything that you have now that you're a follower of Christ. See that everything that God has given you, all your possessions, your money, your family, your life, no less, see it as it belongs to God. That's how we are to see who we are as followers of Jesus. That's what we've been saved into, God's family. And therefore, everything we have comes from him and belongs to him and is for his glory. And so when we come to generosity, it's not just about, right, I suppose I better do something, which we're going to touch on in just a moment, but it's a counter-cultural way that God has called his people to be, to see ourselves. And so I, society at large, the world at large can be incredibly generous, particularly in crisis moments. I think the whole Kickstarter campaign type idea, or just giving pages, particularly in crisis moments, the, the, the world can be generous in those moments. Yikes, there's a challenge. There's a, a thing that's just happened in society, in our community, in this nation at large. And people respond in that moment. And so you think of Grenfell, and there was a huge outpouring of generosity. And I, that's great. We want to celebrate that. It, it's not to say, well, that wasn't good enough. That's a great thing. And it shows that there is within us, there, that we are made in God's image. And actually, there's something within humanity where we say, we, we want to serve those who are hurting. We want to bless those who are hurting in our community. But I think that the church, this is my conviction, that the church should lead the way in generosity. I am totally convinced that the church should lead the way 
in generosity. And the reason is simply this, that we have a different starting place. In terms of our starting place, when we have God in our life, and when we are in Christ, the scales are so tipped in our favor. God is so generous and abundantly generous to us, his people. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul wrote this, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Church, he will supply every need of yours. I wonder, I wonder, just on the way in, I just wonder if sometimes we are lacking generosity, not because we don't want to, but I wonder if at times we're trapped with fear like the world has fear. Self-sufficiency. Better keep that for a rainy day type thinking. If I give that away, how do I look after myself and my family? Yet God has called us to be generous. So, in Luke's gospel, there's a, there's a great theology of generosity woven right through Luke's gospel. He, he seems to put generosity as this thing that, that, he, that he wants Christians, as they're reading this, to get. Something to do with generosity. And he picks up on numbers of times about finance and, and giving and having a generous heart and generous lives. And in Luke 18, he tells this story of a rich young ruler. In fact, let me just jump Just before, a bit earlier in Luke 18, Jesus is telling a parable. And he says this in Luke 18. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men, this is the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So one, a devout religious guy, and one who was considered to be quite sinful and an outcast of society on the edge of their community because of his work. The Pharisee, standing by himself because he's religious and clean and ceremonially clean, doesn't want to be affected by dirty people, sinful people. He was stood by himself. He prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners. And in his mind, he's thinking, this tax collector dude. Unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, not because he thinks of himself as ceremonially clean and doesn't want to be affected by the pollution, the sin of the world, but because he thinks of himself as unworthy. Listen to this. Standing far off, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast in anguish, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And as we've been looking at God's kingdom recently, we'll remember that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And the temptation with particularly finance is that we, we get hold of finance and we use finance to, to show our status in society. And so, please hear my heart in this. I'm not saying 
It is wrong, but I think we need to be aware of it. Somebody who earns a large salary, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But oftentimes, we then make a badge of that large salary by the car that we drive, the house in which we live, the way in which we dress. Now, I'm not trying to draw rules and to say you can't do that. I'm saying we need to guard our hearts. And there is a challenge around finance. And we, if we're not careful, can be just like the world and we can use our finance to elevate ourselves. And we can come up with all kinds of rationale and reasons why it's okay. But right here in this parable, Jesus is saying, no, no, I love to elevate people. I'm the elevator of people and those who humble themselves. Those who go low, I love to elevate. So whether you have lots and plenty of finance or whether you're in a time of scarcity, it's about humbling your heart before God. So Jesus has just told this parable and then Luke um, structures his gospel in this way. He then gives an illustration of a guy who once encountered Jesus called the rich young ruler. Luke 18 verse 18. A young ruler, a young rich guy, came up to Jesus and he asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And Jesus is just picking up that he's called him a good teacher. This guy, he sees him as a good teacher, but he hasn't had revelation that Jesus is God. You know the commandments, Jesus says. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know know the, the scriptures of Moses, you know the teaching of Moses, do these things. And the guy said, all these I have kept from my youth. So here we have this rich young ruler who's an incredibly religious, devout guy. And Jesus isn't begrudging that at all. But he says this. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So that's fantastic that you've been observing the law. There's this one thing that I want you to do. You see... Salvation is free, but following Jesus is incredibly costly. I want you to go and die to yourself. I know the thing that that is holding you back, this area of life where, where you won't receive me as Lord. And Jesus goes right to the heart of this rich young guy's life. And he says, hey, there's this one area. If you want to be my follower, it's going to look like lordship in this area of your life also. And Jesus gives him such a practical thing to do. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. You'll store up for yourself treasure in heaven. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I want you to jump through to Luke chapter 19. And Jesus encounters another guy here. So just remember Jesus' parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And Jesus here meets this guy called Zacchaeus. And it says this, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector 
and was rich. So another rich guy. Another rich guy, but this time somebody who's probably not observed the law of Moses throughout his life. Somebody who's been um, socially outcast from his community, most likely by the sound of it, extorting money from people, disliked. But he's heard about Jesus. And he was interested in who this Jesus is that he's heard about. And he was seeking to see who he was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I think, I think that Luke wants us to make the association with this parable that he's just told us about, that Jesus said in, in Luke 18, small in stature. Sure, maybe he was a small guy, but I think small in spirit, small in life, just had a low view of himself. Unworthy. I think Luke wants us to connect this rich young ruler and this tax collector back to that parable that Jesus has just been saying. He wasn't just standing separate from the community. He was far off because he was unworthy in his own eyes. So he was small in stature and he ran ahead of the crowd and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. For he was about to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I think in that moment, that guy was utterly bowled over. I want to see who Jesus is. I've heard about this guy who loves people, by the sounds of it, the outcasts of society, the prostitutes, the broken, the lepers, the sinful. Those who are looked down on in society, I've never really experienced love like that. I want to know, would he love me? And Jesus passes him by, and not only does Jesus notice him, he knows him by name. And maybe Jesus has heard about this guy in this place. Maybe somebody has told Jesus about this guy. Oh, there's this awful guy here. So irreligious. Persecuting people. Taking finances from people. He's just a crooked guy. Maybe this guy, Zacchaeus, is probably a guy of renown. For all the wrong reasons. But Jesus sees him and he calls him by name. I just think in that moment, somebody who was small in stature, even in their own eyes, just unworthy. Somebody who never got invited to the party. Somebody who always stood far off from the crowd to be noticed. What a a moment for him. Come down. I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He received him joyfully. Just, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I just want to provoke us as a moment that this is another aspect of generosity. I think Jesus is demonstrating generosity. Generosity of himself to those who are the outcasts in society. Those who are on the fringes of society. In, in their culture, to receive a guest of honor in your home was just phenomenal. It was just to, to welcome somebody to your home, to, to, to receive a guest of honor was just up there in their thinking. And Jesus says, I must come and stay at your home, Zacchaeus. He never had an invitation like that. Probably he'd never had an invitation to a party, let alone a guest of honor like Jesus. Come and stay. Can we be a generous people? And in our culture, it's often, in a Western con- context, it's often the other way around. To, to welcome somebody into your home is, is a privilege. To invite somebody, to invite guests, to invite friends, family. But can I encourage us to look wider than just those who are like us and those who 
who it serves as a badge for us. Oh, we had so-and-so around this week. Oh, did you? That's cool. Jesus invites us and asks us. In fact, he compels us as his bride to open our home to Zacchaeus's, to love those who stand off, to love those who, who consider themselves small in stature. So it's what generosity looks like. When they, that's the onlookers, saw this, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You just don't do that kind of thing if you're a devout religious guy. That's just not what you do. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Just contrast that a moment with the rich young ruler. Good teacher. He saw Jesus. Not just as a good teacher. He saw him as Lord. Behold, Lord. Even the word stood there, I think in that moment he's received something of dignity of God in his life. And he stood. There are so many people in this world that crouch, that hide. That have to get in the trees just to get a glimpse of what's happening. So many of us want to be invited and be at the center and be in the in crowd. But Jesus comes for the last, the least, the little and the lost. And he lifts heads. He lifts lives so that we can stand. He said this, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And in that, he's referring, in his head, he does know the scriptures because he's referring back to the law of Moses. Where if anyone is defrauded or stolen, they're to give fourfold as recompense. So he's saying, I'm do, okay, I'll do what's right. I've encountered you and your grace in this moment. And it's immediately brought transformation into my life. I will make amends for the wrong that I have done not just from the money I've taken but from my entire possession because as we said a moment ago in that moment he saw ah everything I've got belongs to God I just give half of it away I've spent my whole life taking money from others extorting money from people preying on the poor the weak the vulnerable suddenly in a moment he sees no everything I have comes from God and therefore I am free to give I'm free to to bless. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And in Galatians, we're told that sons of Abraham are those who have faith in God, faith in Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love those stories. I think they are. I think Luke is so intentional in how he's crafted his gospel. He's put these two guys really close together that we are to compare and contrast their lives. Their view of Jesus, their view of what faith is, their view of what righteousness looks like, their view of what life with God looks like. We are to compare and contrast these guys. We're not just to read and go, oh, there's one guy that had a problem, problem with money and here's another guy who, seems, who used to have a problem with money and now has been transformed. We're to look at their lives and say, here's two pictures of what faith and generosity looks like. How we, church, handle our money has everything to do with how we follow Jesus. How we handle our money has everything to do with how we follow Jesus. It has everything to do with it. It's not just a bit. 
it totally can dictate the shape of our life, how we handle money. So the contrast is unmistakable. The rich young ruler chose wealth over Jesus. Comfort, security, self-sufficiency. But for, um, for Zacchaeus, meeting the Messiah, Messiah loosened his hold on his material possessions. The point is this. Generosity is a sign of a transformed life in God. Nothing less. It's a sign of a transformed life. It's not a badge of pride. It's a sign that your life has been transformed. And that's what we see. We see this rich young ruler, his possessions were a hindrance to a transformed life. His possessions, his wealth, prevented him from becoming a follower of Jesus. And Jesus offered him, he said, look, you do this, you trust me. You go low, you give away. Jesus didn't say it's wrong to have it. He says it's going to look like this. Becoming a follower of me looks like you make yourself low to lift up and bless others. And he said, yeah, but what about? What about on the day when the banks collapse? What about on the day when I want to throw a party and impress my friends? What about on the day when I need a new car? And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about those things. You, you, you do this. You have treasure in heaven. And Zacchaeus, he was also a rich guy. But when he met Jesus, it changed everything. Not just his view of himself, but his heart and his hands. His wallet and his home, his entire life was transformed. The same fingers that once reached into other people's purses and said, I'll take that and that bit also, is now the same fingers that would give and give and give. The point is this, generosity is the sign of a regenerate soul. Somebody who's encountered the saving grace of God. Who's brought new life and transformation into somebody's life. Or to put it another way, there is no such thing as a stingy Christian. People can call themselves Christian and be very stingy, but somebody who is a follower of Jesus is truly never stingy. It's very quiet. (laughs) You see, I don't think we can claim to really know Jesus and be stingy or be untransformed in this area of our lives. Because the gospel, it opens our soul when we receive Jesus as Lord, just like Zacchaeus. It opens all of our life to Jesus. And it transforms our hands, our hearts, our wallets, our home, our thinking, our lives themselves. So, just for a few moments... Why do we give? Tim Keller, in his book, Ministries of Mercy, he talks about this really well. He says, often books and speakers tell Christians that they should help the needy because they have so much. That is, of course, quite true. Common sense tells us that if human beings are to live together on the planet, there should be a constant sharing of resources. So when the statistics are brought out to show Americans, he's in an American context, how much of the world's resources we use It creates, rightly, a sense of concern for those with less than ourselves. But this approach is very limited in its motivating power. Ultimately, it produces guilt. It says, how selfish you are to eat steak and drive two cars when the rest of the world is starving. And this creates great emotional conflicts in the hearts of Christians who hear such arguing. 
We feel guilty. But all sorts of defense mechanisms are engaged. Can I help it if I was born in this country? How will it really help anyone if I stop driving two cars? Don't I have the right to enjoy the fruits of my labor? And soon, with an anxious weariness, we turn away from books or speakers who simply make us feel guilty about the needy. The Bible does not use guilt producing motivation, yet it powerfully argues for the ministry of mercy. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul tells us that the Macedonian Christians gave generously to to the Jerusalem famine victims. He notes that out of the most severe trial, that's the Apostle Paul, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. The Macedonians were not of a higher social class than the needy in Jerusalem. They apparently were going through terrible trials on their own. What then was the dynamic that moved them to give? It was simply this, their overflowing joy. And they gave themselves first to the Lord. It was the Macedonians' response to the self-emptying Lord. Their gifts were a response not to a ratio of income levels, but to the gift of Christ himself. We are called to be a generous people, not out of a mosaic law type dynamic. Not to, not to make God love you, not to be right with God, not to earn salvation. Not to have these badges of super religious, oh look how religious I am. Look how super spiritual I am. God motivates us. The Bible motivates us to be a generous people because we have received the self-giving God. We have received the generous God. We've received him freely and joyfully. And God wants us to become like him, reflecting his generosity into a dying, hurting, starving, pain-filled world. And that is the joy and the privilege that we have as local churches that we get to demonstrate this self-giving God. You see, in Acts um, 17, it says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he gives himself to all mankind life and breath and everything, God does not need your money. His storehouses are plentiful enough. He is not short of a bob or two, and he says, good job I've got this crowd that's sort of like me. Maybe I could ask them if they can loan me a bit. He doesn't need anything from human hands. So when we give, we're not giving because God needs something. We're giving because we need something. We need to become like Jesus in heart and love, because if we really know him, if we really want to call ourselves followers of him, then it looks like a transformed life in the area of finance and generosity in our homes and hearts. You see, we give not for God's good, but for our good. And in that process, we get to be a blessing to the world as we demonstrate the heart of the gospel, this self-giving God. You see, giving demonstrates the why of Christian generosity. That's why we're taking up a special offering in a few weeks, purely to give it away. It's not, again, to have a badge. 
It's not to, we don't want to go around putting our name on it or our logo. That's really not the point. But because it does us good. It does us good to loosen our hold on our wallets and, and bank statements and our cards. It does us good. It causes us to grow in God. It causes us to, to say, hey, I, I, I need to trust in God again. Liz was just saying to me a moment ago at the beginning of the meeting, she said, God did this with me at Fusion. He challenged me on this area of Fusion. And, and since then, God's actually turned circumstances around. Because you encounter God. Because you trust him. And Jesus, he so, he so clearly said this to us. Do not worry. Or do not be anxious about anything. Where you live, where you eat, what car you're going to drive. If you're going to have clothes today. If you've got a roof over your house. How, a roof over your head this week. He says, you don't need to be anxious about that, Christian. Because your heavenly Father knows what you need. I wonder if sometimes we don't really believe that. I wonder if sometimes we think, I hear that, but I better keep something back just in case. Now, please hear my heart. I'm not saying that savings are wrong. I'm not saying that investments are wrong. I'm not saying that insurances are even wrong. But there's a way to do that that is full of faith and can honor God. And there's a way to do it in which actually it's a heart issue and I can do that because I don't trust in God. So wealth isn't the issue. It's a heart issue. And Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Rich in God. Rich in love. Rich in fellowship. Rich in communion. Rich in eternity. And so the church is to look like a people who are very open-handed with the things that God places into our lives. Whatever he's given to us, we're to see it as, God, you've given this to me, not to hold it like this, but to hold it like this. And to distribute it quickly and freely and generously with a joyful, cheerful heart. Because if we hold it like this, we were just talking about this earlier in the week, in all kinds of areas of life, if we hold something like this, God has an amazing ability to go, and boy, is it painful. And he actually, I think he quite enjoys doing that process. And if we don't learn it that time, he'll go again. He'll go, happy to break him again. Not because he needs it from us, but because he wants us to grow in understanding his generous, self-giving nature. He wants us to grow in reliance and dependency on him. He wants us to become like children. Which is why Luke then goes on to talk about becoming like children. So tithing, I haven't got time to talk about tithing. But I think generosity looks like more than tithing. The Barna um, Research Christian Group in 2013, they did a study that shows that best, at best, 12% of born-again Christians are giving 10% a tithe as their income. And so I'm saying if that's true in America, I'm guessing that's true here, that at best, 12% in Gateway are giving a tenth of their income. I, I don't know who gives what. I haven't looked at that. I'm, I'm not really that interested. I'm interested in that we're a generous people. I'm guessing that's true, that around a tenth of us give 10%. This is the point. I don't want us to be a people who give 10%. I don't think that's the Bible's expectation of us. I want us to be a people who are generous. And so if God has blessed you richly with a, with a significant salary, you can give 10% and be incredibly stingy. It's totally possible. And if you're living in hardship and scarcity right now, 
God invites you to trust him. And it might not look like 10% for you. It might look like half a percent. It might look like 3% of your income. God, listen, it's not about rules and regulation. It's about trusting God. It's about giving ourselves to him. The point is this. Be generous because your heavenly father is generous. I want us to be a community that, that just have a start. We start. We just start giving. So for you today, if you're not giving, my first step for you is this. Just start giving. Even if it's £2.50. Even if it's going without a cost of this week. That's probably more like five quid these days. But even if it's just saying, I'm not going to have a cost of this week. I'm going to give. Can I encourage you to just take a step? If you're giving regularly... And you say, do you know what, I really have never thought about how much am I giving in context to my salary. Can I encourage you to go home and look at that? Can I encourage you to move on towards 10%? Not that it's about 10%, but can I encourage you to be growing in generosity? And if you're giving significantly already, I want to say thank you and well done to you also. But come on, let's keep going. So it, it looks like this for Emma and myself. We approach money very differently. We have a very different approach to money. Um, and planning around finances. So Emma's, I'm not saying she's stingy. That's not my point at all. She plans a lot more effectively than I do about money. Um, I have a bit more of a, oh, it'll be fine approach to money, which winds her up. Um, I'd like to think it's because I'm so faith-filled. That, no. and, but when we got serious with God in our early 20s, when we said in marriage and in life we want God to be right in the center of our lives, this was one of the things that very quickly we had to deal with. How do we want to be before God in the area of finance? And we made a decision that, that we want to put finance, our finance before God. We want to hold it lightly with open hands and say, God, this is yours. And I, I remember vividly conversations around this. That there was a time when we, were, we knew it. We weren't giving generously. We were just token giving. I better give a bit then. And so we made a decision. Early in our marriage, we said, no, we're going to give well. And then a few years later, I heard um, Rick Warren um, talking about how he gives. And he says, every year, regardless of the amount of money, I want to increase a percentage that I give to God. Regardless of if we get a massive salary and income, or regardless of if, or even if it's small, we want our giving to continually grow. And he said, every year of our life in marriage, we've done that. And Emma and I kind of looked at each other and thought, that's a good fun challenge. Let's go for it. And so we have. We've sought to every year increase our giving. And please, I'm not trying to be, look at me, here's my badge. I'm saying this is what it's looked like in life. The reason I tell you that is because for us in life, in God, in marriage, it was such a key decision. It was such a turning point in our walk with Jesus, that in that moment when we, when we said we're going to hold it like this before God. We grew in God. We didn't, it's, not, it's not that God went, great, I'm going to give you back tenfold. I was stood outside waiting for Sam, um, my eldest, outside a pub a couple of weeks ago, late at night, bottom of town, and I saw this um, shop front that I assume is some group that would call themselves a church and they're talking and on the front of the shop it talks about how you can become super rich we'll teach you 10 steps to become super rich in life and reign in life and and have all the wealth you need and this poster and I thought yep okay that's not what we're talking about but the moment we made a decision in our hearts we're going to trust God with our finances we grew in God it was that that significant a decision for us and it and please it's not 
Don't bother wasting your time going, well, is that before tax or after tax? I, everything you have belongs to God. And do you want God to treat you like that? Well, I'll forgive you your sins, but are you thinking the ones before you got saved, or what about the ones afterwards also? But we can do this with ourselves, can't we? And whenever those kind of things creep up in our thinking, it should alert us to, I, this has got a hold on me right now. I, this is a self-sufficiency moment. And you know what the remedy is, don't you? You know what the antidote is to greed? It's generosity. And so if you find regularly, oh man, giving again. Oh, not another special offering. Why do they keep asking for money? And I, we don't ask for money enough, by the way. If you find painful moments, I want to ask that you go to God. and Say, God, help me to encounter you like Zacchaeus. That it turns into a joy and a privilege and a wellspring of life to give to you. That it turns into something that, that, that recognizes who you are. That friends and family would say, why are you so generous? Why do you give your finances so easily? It doesn't seem to have a hold on you. And you can say, no, because I know that God's got a hold on me. I'm going to finish with that. Uh, boy, I don't... Don't know how I was thinking I'd get through all of this. Can I just invite us to stand a moment? Father, I want to thank you for your love in our life. I want to thank you that you are the self giving God. We want to thank you that you are the God of true generosity, that you gave your Son for us, that he might be, become poor so that in him we might become rich. And we thank you that we are in Christ and we have received everything that belongs to Jesus along with him because of this amazing position that we have of Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we've been adopted into your family. And I pray for us in these days that we would grow in generosity, that we would excel in the grace of giving, that we would learn to say along with Jesus that it truly is better to give than to receive. And so we bless your name right now. And I want to pray, Lord, that each one of us, wherever we are in this journey of faith, in this journey of generosity, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that it wouldn't be under a law and a burden, but out of the freedom we have in Christ, that we would, we would seek to become generous givers in your kingdom. Lord, we pray that it would, we'd do that for our good, that we might grow in you. Lord, that we would not hold on to the things of this world, that we would not... Um, give in to self-sufficiency. We pray that it might loosen our, our, our hearts and we pray that you might widen our hearts in these days to care and love for the needs in this body and for those outside. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us to give so that we can reflect your glory and we can demonstrate your goodness. And so we bless your name this morning. We bless your name. Come, Holy Spirit. Guys, I just want to say to you, do you know the the incredible privilege of the gospel is that you are free to not give also? God loves a cheerful giver. Lord, I pray that will become who we are in you in the days ahead. We pray it for your glory and your precious name. Amen.